coming up. What's the difference between charitable giving from ordinary people and philanthropic giving from the 1%? Collectively, they're worth an estimated $13 billion, which has enabled the Sackler family to proudly slap their name on some truly impressive monuments to other people's talents. Whose interests are served when the super-rich give big? Isn't big philanthropy just papering over the enormous cracks in our economic system? Keep in mind that these people have infinite money and seem to enjoy nothing more than using it to purchase social status. Money don't get everything, it's true. What it don't get, I can't use. I want money. Philanthropy is an exercise of power. It's an attempt to convert private wealth into public influence. Our guest is Stanford political scientist Rob Reich. Power, especially if it's concentrated power with very large donors, is something that deserves scrutiny, not gratitude, or at least not only gratitude. Is philanthropy bad for democracy? Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Is philanthropy driven by compassion or by ego? Is it better if the rich hoard their money or if they give it away? How about taxing them and using the money the way we want? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Accept your intelligence. I'm Ken Taylor, here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. And I'm Josh Landy, coming to you this week from the Windy City in the studios of the Chicago Recording Company. But we're still continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where I teach philosophy and Josh directs the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today we're asking whether philanthropy is bad for democracy. Josh, what kind of question is that? Philanthropy pays both of our salaries. It funds scholarships for needy students. It builds libraries, hospitals, museums. What's not to like? Those are great things, especially my salary. But we can't let them blind us to the corrosive harm that philanthropy actually does, especially to democracy. What? Philanthropy corrosive? To democracy? Come on, Josh. Well, ask yourself why exactly we need to bribe rich people into giving their money away using tax breaks. I mean, I mean huge tax breaks. I mean, all, all that does is basically reduce the overall sum of money that government has to spend on all the things we need. Wait, wait, wait. Would you rather rich people hoard their money? No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is instead we should tax them more, a lot more. Oh, uh, you don't want to bribe the rich. You want to soak the rich. Is that it? Well, something like that. I mean, the thought is this. Look, instead of rewarding them for wasting money on monuments to their own vanity, we, the people, should get to decide democratically how to spend that money on things that matter to all of us. Monuments to their vanity? Come on, Josh. You're, you're making it sound like most philanthropists are driven by ego rather than selfless compassion. Ego, a lust for power, a desire for absolution. Jeepers. <laughs> Yes. I mean, look, think about who these philanthropists actually are. I, I mean, back in the Gilded Age, it was people like Rockefeller and Carnegie. And today, it's the likes of Sheldon Adelson and the Koch brothers. I mean, you're really telling me I trust the motives of people like that? Oh, gosh, Josh. Look, I, I, I can't deny that there have been some unsavory characters among the pantheon of great philanthropists. But, you know, there's also the likes of George Soros or Bill Gates, they seem like pretty cool guys, and I'm sure their politics are much more to your liking. Yeah, look, it's not the politics that's the issue. I mean, the point is that these folks didn't make their billions by being selflessly compassionate. 
They made them by, you know, rigging the system or uh, being ruthless robber barons. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, f- first of all, why, why, suppose you're right. Why does it matter how they made their money? All that really matters is what they're doing with the money they've got now, now that they've switched from, you know, robber baron mode to philanthropic mode. That's all that matters. I don't know, Ken. Dress a rubber baron up in philanthropic clothing. Uh, all you got is a rubber baron and a friendly-looking suit. Oh, gosh, who are you, dude? Bernie Sanders? It's like you <laughs> think that all great wealth is ill-gotten. I mean, I-, I don't believe that, but even if it were, shouldn't we be pleased? I mean, like, really pleased when some of it is given back to society? So, wait, we're supposed to be grateful to them, like they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart? I mean, haven't you noticed how often they plaster their names all over everything they build. Oh, gosh. Josh, a wealthy donor gives like 30 million bucks to build a cancer center. And you begrudge them a little name recognition? What's so bad about giving credit where credit's due, dude? Well, so let me see if I understand you correctly. You're saying we're supposed to take their tainted money, ignore who we are, who they are, ignore where their money came from, and then bow down before them and say, thank you so much, oh saintly one, for building us a monument in your honor. Thanks, but no thanks. Gosh, in your honor. Come on, Josh, let me get this straight. I mean, it's like you think, I mean, do you really think? Like, philanthropy is a form of, I don't know, it's, it's it's like the moral equivalent of money laundering or something like that. Come on. Well, yeah, yes. I mean, look, it's a way for the Rockefellers of this world to disguise the unscrupulous means by which they made their money. And it's also a way for them to whitewash their reputation. Oh, this is way too harsh, Josh. Come on. Surely some philanthropists are just good, caring people who made their money honestly, and they're interested now in using their wealth to change the world and make it a better place. Surely you admit there are people like that. Well, okay, and more power to them if they are, but can if they're really such great people, why do we need to bribe them to give their money away using tax breaks? Well, well, I'm willing to admit you might be right about that. We should maybe rethink our uh, tax policies, no, no doubt. Okay, okay. It's good to see you're starting to come around. But, but still, I think you're way too cynical about this question of how many philanthropists are genuine saints and how many are just sinners in disguise. You know, that's an excellent question, Ken. And to help us think about it, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to take a closer look at the motivations of some well-known philanthropists from the Gilded Age down to the present. She files this report. In a recent HBO segment, comedian John Oliver takes on the Sackler family and their company, Purdue Pharma, the makers of OxyContin. Purdue famously aggressively marketed OxyContin to doctors as a less addictive painkiller that could be used to treat common conditions like backaches and knee pain, which was obviously untrue. The Sacklers have rarely spoken publicly about this addictive painkiller, so Oliver brought on actor Michael Keaton to play Richard Sackler. A news article about OxyContin addiction says it's caused 59 deaths in a single state. How do you respond? That's not too bad. It could have been far worse. In 2001, the opioid crisis was escalating. Richard Sackler wrote an email urging Purdue Pharma staffers to blame the people who were addicted. Michael Keaton, what did he actually write? We have to hammer on the abusers in every way possible. They are the culprits and the problem. They are reckless criminals. Sackler genuinely wrote that. 
Outraged by the family's actions, activists took to the Guggenheim in New York to demand the museum cut ties with the Sackler family. In response to public pressure, museums like the Guggenheim have begun to cut ties. The National Portrait Gallery in the UK canceled a $1.3 million donation from the Sackler family. And I think the Sackler family cares about that. Keith Humphreys researches addiction at Stanford University. They are so insistent on putting their name on all their philanthropic donations, says to me they really want to be known as patrons of the arts, not as uh, the people who brought us the worst drug epidemic of the last hundred years. Humphreys says the Sacklers used their social clout to convince regulators, medical schools, and doctors that Oxycontin was not addictive. He says rejecting their donations sends a powerful message. Rich people aren't like you and me. They care a lot about being able to go to dinner parties in fancy places and not be cursed under people's breath. So that elite rejection by museums, and I suspect some universities are going to start rejecting them as well, may motivate them to change, not out of any goodness of their heart, but because they care about that very deeply, maybe more than they care about just the money. This is not the first time institutions have grappled with accepting donations from the contentious elite. Big philanthropy is inherently a problem for democracy. Benjamin Saskis, a historian with the Center on Nonprofits and Philanthropy at the Urban Institute, says this debate really came to a head during the Gilded Age. This was after the Civil War when oil tycoon John D. Rockefeller became America's first billionaire. Andrew Carnegie was another robber baron. He made a fortune off of steel and ruthlessly broke up unions. The massive fortunes of the industrial age confronted the public with a real quandary. What do you do if you are asked to accept public donations that are really attractive, that could do good, but that seem to connote a sort of endorsement of the modes of accumulation? Some communities refused Carnegie's money, saying the libraries he wanted to build were like monuments to exploitation. In 1905, Rockefeller donated $100,000 to a Congregationalist Missionary Society. Saskia says this sparked widespread debate about whether accepting this money would amount to endorsing a merciless oil monopoly. And that's when the phrase tainted money really became most prominent. Half the nation thought it was cool for the congregationalists to accept the money, and half thought it was completely immoral. During the 19th century, it was easy to point to millionaires and philanthropists like Rockefeller and Carnegie as examples of corporate greed. Now the Sacklers have come to represent a similar ethos. But Andy Chambers, an addiction psychiatrist with the Indiana University School of Medicine, says focusing on individuals like the Sacklers is missing the bigger picture. What's going on in our healthcare system that Doctors are so poorly trained that they, instead of listening to what they were taught in med school, they listen to drug companies. What's going on with that? Now we're in what some people call the second Gilded Age, where a small number of people yet again own a huge chunk of the nation's wealth. And many of these very rich individuals are looking to make big donations. Chambers says addiction research might be a good place to start. There is an incredible lack of philanthropic interest and support for addiction diseases. But when it comes to fighting addiction, there's not usually a prestigious museum wall for billionaires to stamp their names on. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McTeed.
Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.